All right. This week on the podcast, we've got a special guest. Well, they're all special, but this one especially special because we're talking about uh, cryptocurrency, uh, a topic that doesn't come up enough by my estimate, but I don't want to overdo it. So we're careful with the guests we bring on. And today's guest is Pat Duffy, the co-founder of The Giving Block. Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Pat, welcome to the podcast. George, thank you for having me. How are you doing? Doing all right today. I feel like I have to ask, where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from a very empty uh, WeWork in Detroit. It's a beautiful building. Looks like an old train station almost. They're obviously, we talked about as another point, but over their skis when it comes to investment um, in the buildings that we're in. But I'm enjoying it. One of two people operating out of a five-story establishment. (laughs) We just saw some water across the back, way, way in the back. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's a different time, right? And one of the interesting things is it may be accelerating blockchain, it may be accelerating cryptocurrency in this decentralized world. But you know, you have started a company that I um, I'm interested in, and I want our audience to hear more about it. So tell us, what does the Giving Block do? Yeah, yeah. So myself and Alex Wilson, uh, end of 2017, uh, is when we first kind of saw the the market opportunity. Alex was a, a cryptocurrency trader. I was working at the Lupus Foundation um, as their integration director, and he got me into uh, investing in cryptocurrency. So we were paying attention to the news and kind of uh, knee deep in that world. And we just saw over like a, a two to three week period, uh, about $300 million get donated to nonprofits, um, mostly in like large high profile donations. So we quickly realized there was a tax incentive. It was classified as property by the IRS. So same thing as stocks, any other form of property you can transfer, the difference being it's easier than a credit card to actually give. Um, so huge imbalance in demand from the, the donor side as it grew and the user base kept doubling and then the nonprofits not really stepping into that. Um, so the first thing was uh, building the Lucas Foundation system for actually taking donations. Um, and then after that, we turned into a little pet project setting up nonprofits to take it. Uh, and then last year, we finally started doing active fundraisers and building out an actual fundraising platform and uh, locking it down as a real company. And we've been growing the team and setting up more nonprofits to fundraise crypto effectively. Let's just start off with how do you define cryptocurrency? Like, is it just Bitcoin? Is that what we're talking about here? Cryptocurrency, I, I forget the way that they always uh, word it online, but it's like uh, it's a value asset stored on a distributed uh, blockchain ledger requiring cryptographic proof of work to authorize transactions, something to that effect, which means nothing. Um, the general idea is cryptocurrency is digital money, which is kind of what everybody's playing with without recognizing it. You know, we have, we have fractured reserves and there are dollars to back every number on a ledger. Uh, but cryptocurrency solved the double spend problems in the same way they were making MP3s into torrents and people were passing music along online. They didn't want to have digital money that people could alter transaction records or, you know, make duplicates of and, and spend more than once. Uh, so Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency to solve those problems. And because it's a digital form of uh, currency without banks and middlemen, uh, it can be moved from place to place more quickly. It's not issued by one jurisdiction who can print it into, you know, uh, obsolescence or, you know, print everyone's savings into a complete lack of utility 
or India taking their notes offline. Um, yeah, so governments can't print it. You can't hyperinflate it and make it useless. Um, banks aren't in the middle, so they can't tweak the, the transaction fees. It's all altered by the system internally. And people know that no transaction record can be changed. The larger the network grows, uh, the more secure that becomes. Um, it's just kind of a better form of money. Bitcoin was the first one, and now we've got a couple thousand different cryptocurrencies trying to carve out their own little space in the ecosystem. So as soon as I say the words like cryptocurrency, and I hold a cryptocurrency, Ethereum, to Dogecoin, to whatever it may be, that means I can actually just transfer it to anybody. Is that like one of the rules of any crypto? I can just transfer it to another individual. I can transfer it back for exchange for money. I can exchange it even as a donation. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you can transfer it to anyone who can take it. Um, so if anybody has a, a wallet address that can accept that cryptocurrency, you can send it to them. It's international. Every country is going to have their own rules and regulations around transferring a value asset. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, you can transfer it uh, internationally in between individuals. You don't need a bank in the middle, but we do have exchanges that are now emerging uh, and becoming more and more in vogue. Um, on those exchanges, you can you know immediately move them in and out of USD. Or, or other fiat currencies. Um, other than that, you take it offline and transfer it back and forth between people. Uh, yeah, and when it comes to donations, same tax as end of his stocks. It's treated more like property than it would like a currency. Mm-hmm. I need to like so maybe put some market sizing on this because it seems like there's just a few super rich individuals and then a bunch of geeks in basements that are playing and trading. Like, like it's not my average donor if I'm thinking as a nonprofit that's sitting there with like a ton of crypto and trading, like what is this market opportunity actually and how do you size it? Yeah. Um, well, one, I, th- I think the, the value prop is that it's not your average donor and your average donor is probably not what your average donor should be necessarily, especially if you want longevity. Um, I mean, just like looking at manufacturing in the U S and how that went out would be like, yeah, it's, it's great that that's working for now, but that doesn't look like where things are heading. Um, the, the size of the user base is way more significant than most people would think. There's about 70 million users, it looks like, as far as they can peg it. Um, information is getting shared between jurisdictions more effectively now. Uh, but Coinbase, for instance, is the largest exchange in the U.S. They've got probably 40 million. The last number I saw was 35 million, maybe six months ago, uh, users, which to put that in context, is more than Charles Schwab. It's more than Fidelity. It's more than E-Trade. Um, and when you look at millennial and Gen Z investors, they're, they're getting to a 50-50 tipping point. It's like in the 40% range of uh, millennials and Gen Zs who prefer crypto trading over stock exchanges. Um, so yeah, it's not like people are going into Starbucks and transferring for a cup of coffee, but when it comes to where millennials and Gen Zs are putting their money and developing their wealth, cryptocurrency is becoming significantly more popular. And what that means is because it's a property asset, it is appreciating and subject to capital gains. Um, it's their most incentivized way to give you a donation. So if you take that away from them and you make them give a credit card, they're going to go somewhere else where they can get a tax write-off. Okay. So let's dig into this, that tiny little phrase you just said there. Crypto donors are not your Mm -hmm. average donors. What are three reasons or three ways that that is actually true? What do those differences look like? I'll try to keep it in the three, although I didn't have it set up in this framework. I'll try to meet you where you are. Um, <laughs> Look, let's make it. I just three. wanted a number. I like yeah, number. no, I like no, three. I like, I like a list of three. Give me good three. retention. Um, so yeah, so one main way 
uh, is crypto donations, generally speaking today, start with the donation method and end with the nonprofit. So in the same way that uh, your stock gift option on your website isn't something where people go to check out with a credit card and they just switch over to stocks and start sending you, you know, Tesla because it takes them 30 seconds. That's usually a high net worth individual who's making a transfer uh, because they have a lot stored in there and they have a tax advisor telling them to do as such. Um, crypto is like that, except it's not just high net worth people. You don't have to go through a brokerage. Um, it, it doesn't take, you know, six days to figure out the account. Like they, they have uh, an appreciated property asset as classified by the IRS and they want to transfer it to a nonprofit. So it's generally speaking, starting with like, hey, where can I donate Bitcoin? Where can I donate cryptocurrency? What nonprofits take cryptocurrency, which tends to lead folks to us just because we run it as a platform. Um, and then I guess uh, another way that it's not your average donor is it's significantly more male uh, than female. So nonprofits are 90% female when it comes to their staff. Cryptocurrency users are 90% male. Um, and then uh, another piece is it's young folks. It's millennial and Gen Zs. For all other forms of money, there isn't like this age divide. You can see things like Venmo and certain apps people use to transfer funds, but they're not using that for donating um, for the most part. There's a lot more volume in crypto. Um, this is one of the few forms of money that millennials and Gen Zs are overwhelmingly more likely to have. So it becomes a, a call to action as much as it is a means of uh, accepting donations in the sense that if you're at a gala and you have millennial and Gen Z folks there and you take crypto, they're more excited about your organization and they think it's cool that you're doing it. They don't care about credit cards. No one gives a shit if you're taking credit cards at a gala. They're not going to throw their hands over their head. Um, so I'd say those three things in particular. Yeah, I think it's a unique thing to have a like sort of like payment type first mindset of like, what, what do you mean? Like there are actual people mm -hmm. searching the internet saying, how do I donate cryptocurrency and it's just a, a long uh, a long time joke of mine and lesson that I try to teach nonprofits that are actually using like the Google ad grant or thinking about digital advertising and they think about what the keywords are and I hope my joke is that like there's nobody searching the internet for like I got 20 bucks in my pocket burning a hole in here mm -hmm. gotta get rid of it how do I get like yeah that's not what they're looking for they're cause first they're issue minded they come in because of the story but you seem to be suggesting that people are searching for how to donate crypto, how to donate their surplus, their wins, and, um, and trading. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, so it's, I, I actually, not that I disagree with you on the, um, like the pathos appeal, um, but I, I think nonprofits across the board are missing the logos aspect. So in crypto, it's starting with a motive donation. You can donate this form of money to us and there's a huge tax incentive. We work with crypto tax software companies, tapping the newsletters, uh, ads running on crypto price check websites and, and applications. Uh, browsers where crypto people hang out when they're going to check out an exchange and trigger a taxable event by switching from one asset class to the other. They're offered a direct way to donate. Um, things like that get donations. That's strictly Logos. That has nothing to do with ultimately where they go, okay, now I have, like you said, money burning a hole in my pocket where that provides a, a Logos incentive. I'm going to donate to nonprofits now that resonate with me. You still need that emotional appeal. 
Um, but I do think it's really important that nonprofits focus on logos across the board. Like, make it a logical appeal. Don't just say, here are the people we're helping. Like, tell me why what you're doing is better than another nonprofit that I can give this dollar to. Um, or tell me why functionally your system serves a population better than the government that's on the ground. Like, I don't think people think donors can handle that. They just want to see a cute kid. Um, I do think donors can, can handle logos appeals mixed in with emotional appeals. And I don't think it takes away from your, uh, your message. Yeah. Reminder to our audience, the pathos is that emotional uh, logos is the logical center of the things that making sense. And so the other thing you shared, I think earlier that kind of shocked me in the pre-roll was the, the search incidents for people that are actually literally like on Google trends, searching that topic is higher than stock gifts and other pieces because it's a transact. I mean, it's a transactional meant to be transferred asset class. Um, it's also uh, sport to a lot more volatility, higher frequency mm -hmm. of trades. Like, you know, people aren't exactly hold, uh, holding for holding for life on these things. There's a lot of in and out. And toward the end of the year, there's um, more likely than not, especially if there's a boom you mentioned in 2017, where, you know, the price of Bitcoin danced at 20K, you know, just shy. It was a time where people were cashing out. And there was a lot of money floating around. Uh, and so, you know, I think it, um, it it's seasonal, probably. It's less smooth. Uh, and it's maybe punctuated by larger givers. So ultimately, is there a long, is there a long tail here? Or is it just like a winner take all? Like, I, I want to like, happen to, you know, be in the right place for someone who has a lot of money? Yeah. Yeah, so like we we generally structure it like along one of those three axes. So like why accept crypto? Um, and then we say why accept crypto through us? And then we say why accept crypto now? That's the last leg that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of getting into it now, like one big thing is just market share. Uh, one Bitcoin was worth six cents in 2010. It's worth, I'd, I'd have to check today, but over $10,000 a unit. Um, so a lot of nonprofits know about Bitcoin from going from 20,000 to say $10,000. But if you just go over any two and a half year timeline, you walk your way back. Um, it's the best appreciating asset of the last five and 10 years. Um, meaning once people move out of those taxable positions, like there's that underbelly of people who invest in crypto very early. They have a ton of crypto that they haven't moved out of that position yet. They're going to be making that in like one move or two move or early moves now where there's a bunch of money baked into their positions. Um, so we're going to see more of those. Uh, you know, mega million dollar crypto gifts, that's going to be early. So that's one reason to do it now. Once people move out of those positions and start selling off their crypto, getting cash, um, that, that baked in uh, move from six cents to 10,000, there, there's not going to be a pool of people who haven't moved from those positions for forever. Uh, and then the second reason is just donor relationships. Like once someone starts giving to a nonprofit, they keep giving to a nonprofit. It's the same with crypto donors. So like the nonprofits we've been working with the longest get the most recurring donors and they just get the most gifts in general. Their brand is recognized, crypto donors trust them, they know them, they've seen them in campaigns. Um, so yeah, I mean, getting in late to the game, crypto donors and the crypto ecosystem, the corporate partners that work out here, the exchanges and who their big partner is. Um, and the same with a lot of banks and, and other existing companies and then the individuals who work in certain sectors like have their relationships. We're seeing a lot of that form in crypto as well. Um, so I'd say those two things in particular. There's a lot of wealth baked in that it's going to be moved out of a position. They'll take their tax incentive, they'll move on. Um, and then the donor relationships are going to be established and, and long lasting. Yeah. It seems like also the type of person who's maybe investing in crypto isn't a big fan of fiat currency 
and isn't a big fan maybe of the fact that they're about to write a giant capital gains tax to a government that's going to spend it on military or things they may not appreciate. So this may actually yeah. be baked into the mindset of a trader, of someone who has this type of asset, um, which is interesting. It makes them you know, sort of unique in, in, uh, in that category as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had that conversation. I've, I don't even know if it's good to discuss because we haven't done it as a campaign. Um, but pretty much like pick one. If you remember those old Twix ads where they'd be like pick left side or right side and they, they would run the split screens and it was an interesting marketing idea. Uh, I've been thinking about doing something where it's like the IRS is always the left side of the screen and then the right is just a nonprofit. <laughs> and we just do it with all of our different nonprofits. It's like pick one. Um, and for crypto users in particular, it's like that is the option. You can give. 250 grand, a million dollars, pineapple hunt, $56 million, whatever they were trying to offset. Uh, you can either literally give that to the IRS or to a nonprofit. It's like an astounding opportunity for people, especially when they're moving out of a huge uh, position. Even if they don't have, um, let's say the capital gains tax burden built up that year, um, they still get the write-off and they don't owe capital gains on the crypto that they donate. So there's that second layer of you donate 56 million in crypto, you're not just offsetting those trades from earlier in the year. You don't have to pay taxes on the crypto that you're moving to the nonprofit at all. Um, so it's hyper, hyper incentivized. And like you said, yes, cryptocurrency users are in a lot of ways very libertarian, um, but they're also super young. You know, they're in their 20s and 30s for the most part and very issue minded. Um, they want to have an impact. The nonprofit alignment is perfect, especially from a human rights standpoint. But I mean, we work with organizations that represent uh, orangutans, um, the Lupus Foundation, a million things that wouldn't resonate with this community in particular, let's say. It's not just giant nonprofits like Save the Children or uh, someone who's doing human rights or tech stuff. Like every nonprofit that we work with across sectors and across sizes is successful. Um, just because there's a lot of crypto users looking to dump crypto and they're excited that any nonprofits are getting into it. Um, all of which have been welcomed, uh, I guess, with open arms so far. So one more logic kick here is, look, why does it matter that I transfer it to a nonprofit's wallet or, or through a donation there? Why don't I just liquidate it, get the cash, and then send it in the traditional donation form? Why do I have to have yet another way to, to donate? What is, what is it about that flow that um, makes someone mm -hmm. give or need to have a, a, you know, a blockchain giving, a, you know, a crypto giving option? Yeah, so that's a taxable event. So that's the issue. So it's the same thing with stocks. The issue with that is if you could do it that way, then you could also just cash out of the stock and then never give it to the nonprofit. So like in terms of other tracking, I'm assuming that's why the rules work this way. If you don't move the crypto directly to a nonprofit, then when you cash out of a position, you've now triggered a taxable event. Or if you move between stocks, between cryptocurrencies, same thing. Um, it's got to be original positions. Um, it's the only way to answer it, I guess, is it's exactly the same as stocks. If you don't transfer that asset directly to a nonprofit, if you sell it first, um, you owe taxes on that piece of property. Um, so in other words, there's hundreds of billions of dollars in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. There's tens of millions of users. And at the end of any given year, because like you said, the market is so volatile, there are millions of human beings, um, young donors who probably don't have deep ties with existing organizations for the most part, who need to offset uh, relatively large donations, sometimes super large um, donations in order to not pay capital gains taxes. And the imbalance between how big this ecosystem is and how few nonprofits are taking it is like one of the most disproportionate. Like as far as we can tell for metrics, for instance, like there's more money in crypto fundraising than streaming. 
and I mean streaming in general. So like being on Twitch or if you go across the platforms of YouTube, like running a streaming fundraiser, which is obviously a tool, not a method or a mode rather of donation. It seems like it makes more sense based on the volume of donations in the crypto ecosystem. It makes more sense to just take crypto than it would to have a, a presence across streaming platforms. Um, so yeah, it, it's super disproportionate. If you don't take crypto directly, they have to go somewhere else because there's just too much money on the line. Yeah. Uh, it's, as you mentioned, sort of hard to tell the market size and, and actually if you factor in Facebook streaming and I don't know where you draw the lines, like there's questions mm -hmm. on that, but in and of itself, staying in that ecosystem, you know, what would you peg based on what you know in the annual giving via crypto? Yeah, it's super tough again, because it's tax incentivized. There'd be like, if you had a good year in the stock market, stock giving would be significantly different than like a down year, mm -hmm. um, because of that tax incentive. Uh, for crypto, as far as we can tell, we think a good number is like $200 million just because 2017, 2018, we saw that huge uh, influx. Um, and it's only probably three or four years that we have like real data on it. Crypto has only been around for a decade, which is still longer than Instagram, for, for instance, just for context on nonprofits, how long it's been around, because I think they think it just happened. Um, but anyway, because we only have a few years, I'd say a safe number is probably like $200 million or so a year. Uh, and as the market expands, the user base expands, I'm sure that number rises as well. All right. I want to talk through how you message and put together a crypto campaign. Like we're baking a cake. Like what are the layers of what you would do? Um, regardless if somebody used the giving block or not, like you walk in and say, all right, we got to go and put together our end of year crypto giving appeal. What, you know, quarterback this, what does this look like? Zero. Zero, one, two, three. Yeah. Um, number one, first and foremost, which I think works for pretty much all fundraising campaigns is like, don't screw it up, which is like the number one thing we're focused on, which is like- <laughs> You're like the, the Warren Buffett of crypto campaign. <laughs> Rule number one, don't freaking lose it all. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not the Warren Buffett of anything, but I appreciate that. I, I, when I say don't screw it up, I pretty much just mean, um, you see nonprofits like we need to be on TikTok like I hear nonprofits saying more often now and they just go on and it's like, they just don't use the slang part. Like it just becomes a meme. And it's, it's very easy to do that, especially with the younger donor audiences. So like spelling cryptocurrency is two words or just loading it up with hashtags that nobody uses um, or doing it all on Facebook instead of Twitter as if there are people in their twenties and thirties, like hanging out on Facebook. Like all of those things is pretty much what we saw for first, where it's just like, there's a lot of potential wasted energy. We just want to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, because that's time you don't get back. Um, once we solve for you, like you're, you're using the right language, you're on the right platform, you have the right hashtags, you know where you're going. Um, you pretty much just talk about your mission the way that you would normally, and then make it clear that you take crypto and then make it easy to give. Um, so across the board, a lot of nonprofits, about half of our, our first set of clients were groups that were already set up to take crypto. And then they switched to us because the technical solution didn't work or because they had a horrible process where you'd have to like go to their site and then like send them an email to give them crypto or something bizarre like that. Um, so we line all of those things up uh, so that the nonprofits are prepared to participate in some way, shape or form. And then when it comes to our coordination, um, again, we start with the donors and we end with the nonprofit. Like I'm way more focused on making sure that the sites that people go to to check crypto prices, the apps they use to do their crypto taxes, the browsers they're using to search the web and engage with crypto, uh, sites, the exchanges where they're buying and selling cryptocurrency, all of the main places, the, the crypto news outlets, uh, the social media, Fora, 
um, the threads, um, where are the main places we can get in front of people who use crypto? I'm just pretty much uh, as, as the giving block myself, Alex, Mike, Maria, the rest of the team, um, we're trying to make sure that your message is getting in front of them. You don't have to like put on a, a Bitcoin t-shirt and, and start doing like Bitcoin related messaging. You just tell your story and get in front of the right people. Um, so, so pretty much, I guess, to, to recap it all, like once everything is set and in stone, we're reaching out to all of those companies running ads on the platforms where people are, are uh, using cryptocurrency. We're doing direct integrations with exchanges so people can donate crypto directly from the places where they have it. We're working with the crypto news outlets to make sure that there are uh, op-eds and press releases as we start a campaign. And then when that campaign kicks off, those it's usually somewhere between 50 and 100 companies we, we've gotten to join us. They're either putting up sponsor dollars in crypto, they're running ads on their platform, they're doing the marketing, and then all of them are coming onto social with us and they're tagging, liking, retweeting the nonprofit's content, which is sharing their audiences of crypto users with the nonprofits. And the nonprofits are thanking those companies. And we're creating a, a vortex in the center where they're sharing one other's audiences. These crypto companies are getting traditional exposure and a lot more reach. And the nonprofits are getting an existing pool of crypto donors poured right into their site to see their impact and make donations. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to summarize. Yeah. So get the language, right. Find the audience areas where they're already congregating and then make sure the tech is in place that it is frictionless as possible uh, for giving. Yeah. Yeah. And then make it loud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're also running a campaign. I'd love to call out a little bit. Uh, Bitcoin Tuesday. Um, I assume December 1st, same as Giving Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the community campaign uh, for, for cryptocurrency fundraising on Giving Tuesday. Uh, tell us about it. How do people get involved? What's the plan here? Yeah. Um, so community campaigns for Giving Tuesday, you'll see like every state will have their own Giving Tuesday. Issue areas will have their own Giving Tuesday. There's all these kind of sub campaigns. Um, so we've got about uh, probably by day of we'll have a little over 100 nonprofits who are fundraising crypto with us. And then any nonprofits that are taking crypto who aren't, uh, you know, on our system, um, we can support you as well. So just reach out if you want like marketing content and graphics and stuff. Um, but anyway, we're, we're going to be fundraising with all of the nonprofits that take crypto. We arrived there and then similar to what we just described, we've spent the last few months and we'll continue to do so. Uh, lining up all of the, the crypto news outlets, the key opinion leaders, uh, the influencers, uh, the companies that have uh, the biggest, uh, you know, preponderance of crypto users. They're all lined up just putting up sponsor dollars, marketing uh, across their sites and platforms. We'll have ad takeovers on a lot of the major sites in crypto. Um, and then all of the nonprofits get marketing toolkits and we all just kind of arrive on Twitter for the most part uh, on Giving Tuesday. We do some hype in the week leading up. And then we, uh, what we do a little bit differently is we don't have like end dates on our campaign. So that will be the blow up um, where we launch on Giving Tuesday, but we're gonna use that to spin it into offshoot fundraising campaigns. We'll attract more companies and then we'll do a bunch of things in crypto. We usually end up with like poker tournaments where crypto users will play together and then they'll, um, you know, they'll all just buy in and then play with play money and then donate a bunch of money to different nonprofits. Or we've had uh, musicians do live stream concerts. We'll, we'll get a collection of different kind of offshoot events. Um, but yeah, I mean, long story short is it's the Giving Tuesday for cryptocurrency fundraising. And we just work with all of our nonprofits and partners to, to raise the volume. Love it. Um, and people can find that at thegivingblock.com and then easily in the nav, you can find their Bitcoin Tuesday, right? Yeah, absolutely.
Okay. Any other advice? Any other sort of risks here? We talked about the volatility. It sounds like if someone donates, it's immediately liquidated and the nonprofit gets it if they're using these things. Like they don't have to become crypto traders. Are there any other risks or things that you want to call out here before we move into our rapid fire? Yeah. Um, so like this is the the big thing that we always want to get to, like in any of these conversations. Like it's really easy to take crypto donations now, which we just want to make it clear to nonprofits when they hear it. They're like, that seems like a lot, which it absolutely does. Like it's still weird, like at Thanksgiving, when my family knows that I work in quote unquote Bitcoin, they think it's chaos. Um, I, I feel like people think it's like you need to build a Wi-Fi router to like access the internet. It's like, no, I mean, there's there's companies and stuff out there that makes it super easy. You just plug the thing in. Um, that's kind of what we've done with it. In terms of considerations, if you're trying to like build your own thing, which some nonprofits want to do, they'll have like a crypto savvy person. It's, it's kind of like doing a Wix site version, I guess, of what you want to do for your nonprofit. Considerations then would be uh, price volatility. If you're going to take crypto donations, you want to make sure you have uh, a system that automatically converts it uh, to cash with a, with a fiat off ramp, just so that you're not dealing with price volatility because that's an accounting nightmare and you also don't want to lose value on the gift. Um, if you're going to keep the crypto, which some of our clients do, like as an endowment and a long-term investment, you want to make sure you're storing that offline. You don't want to leave it in exchange accounts. Um, you want to store it safely. So when you receive donations, you want to make sure you have a custody solution. We work with Gemini. They're super safe and secure. Um, if you're opening your own cryptocurrency wallet somewhere, you're not going to have uh, market surveillance. Um, so that's another thing to consider. Most uh, cryptocurrency donors, 80%, same as Facebook, give anonymously. Uh, so if you're trying to do your own thing in crypto, recognize that if you're not working with like us with Gemini and, and the background, you're not going to have market surveillance on crypto coming in and off of your wallet. Um, so they use NASDAQ market surveillance, same as any other traditional exchange. Um, other considerations, compliance, make sure that you're set up the whole way because they'll let you open an account, quote unquote, but you haven't done like the second and third layer of compliance that will block and cap the number of donations you can take and the size of those donations. will also cap how much you can sell when it comes in. Um, but I guess long story short on, on all of this, uh, is if you work with an organization like us, um, it doesn't have to be difficult. All that stuff is stuff that we've solved for. So like we work with, you know, save the children and universities and as much red tape as you could possibly imagine when it comes to due diligence and everyone's using the system and it's, uh, relatively painless. Yeah, I'm glad I asked that. So I'm like, yeah, I can spin up a wallet and just run run amok. And you're like, well, that's a great way to run afoul of many a problem. That's okay. what we did originally. We <laughs> you're like, we bumped our head on every single rung of the ladder. And, you know, it's yeah. important to note that it's not just like, hey, you know, put a button on your site, collect it, toss it in a wallet. Uh, already, we're going to move into rapid fire. Uh, keep your responses to about 30 seconds and we'll jump right into it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All righty. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization that started using in the last year? Something that we love. I guess HubSpot. HubSpot is fantastic. We, we spent a lot of time researching like, like how we're going to do, um, you know, relationship management and data. Uh, and HubSpot's been awesome. Tons of integrations, uh, easy to use. Love it. What tech issues are you currently battling with? I guess one thing we would like to get to is in addition to having our, our cryptocurrency auto convert to cash, we would like it to automatically then send that FDIC insured cash on the exchange over to your bank. Uh, right now, clients still have to log in and move FDIC insured cash over to their bank account. So it's like a few clicks, but it'd be nice if it just always went, went seamlessly in. 
What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? The next year, I, I would say stable coins. Uh, hopefully it's tough to see uh, how that's going to work. So like we said, cryptocurrency for now is pretty much property assets. So it's like speculating like stock. You're pretty much buying stock in the idea of cryptocurrencies being adopted as actual money. Stable coins will be that quote unquote actual money where it's pegged to the price of a US dollar or something similar. Um, once we have cryptocurrency where the price isn't fluctuating aggressively, um, if we can stabilize one effectively, then you'll see people, you know, buying uh, Starbucks with, with cryptocurrencies and uh, much wider adoption. Talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that now shapes the way you do things. Oh my God. Uh, picking, this is actually a big one, picking an industry rather than skills. I think a lot of people do this. They say, I want to work in sports or whatever the thing is going to be. I think you should pick what you want to be good at or known as being good at or uh, like what weapons you want to develop or what makes you feel good when you do it effectively. And then plug that into whatever industry you have the best opportunity. So like uh, if you want to go into sports because you like working with people and you want to be there on the field, like it would be much better to go into um, something that gave you a public speaking opportunity than it would be to work at a desk for a sports team, quote unquote. I think people get kind of square pegged into round holes because they're not thinking about what they'll do day to day. They think about an industry instead. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Can successfully go out of business? They shouldn't. Uh, they should go out of business for their original cause, but you've then baked in so much expertise, you should hopefully pivot instead of constantly trying to you know, cram people into your existing problem. Uh, yes, I think you can solve your problem and move on, but like, be ready to pivot. Like, What happens when we make this thing go away? Let's use our expertise for the next thing that's peripherally related. Uh, but yeah, 100%. You should be able to solve your problem and accept that and move on to something else. If I were to toss you in the hot tub time machine, to go back to the beginning of when you founded and started working on the giving block, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, I would trust my co-founder more earlier. Uh, generally speaking, I'm pretty skeptical about people, uh, their work ethic, their ability to do things. The, the guy that I, I co-founded this company with, Alex Wilson, is a lot smarter than I thought he would be. Um, and super effective. So we probably would have gotten a lot further if I was like, okay, this guy's locked in. I'm ready to, to take the leap and work full time with him. Alex, that's as close to an apology as you're going to get if you're listening to this. <laughs> what is something that you think you or your organization should stop doing? Uh, stop doing over-explaining. Um, so it's what you don't say versus what you do say. So again, it's like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, combustion engines, uh, light fixtures. No one knows how anything works. So I think we dive way too hard into like what the cryptocurrency ecosystem looks like in the tech itself. It's like none of that really matters. No one knows what's going on in their car. They just know which one they want to get and drive to work. Uh, I think we have to get to a point where we just make it in nonprofit language and, and stay out of the weeds. Take a Harry Potter magical wand and wave it across the nonprofit sector. What would it do? Uh, it would be the sector that you get rich in, I would say for sure. As long as you're going to have capitalism, of course, it would get political if you want to end up with a more uh, socialistic and, and evenly uh, spread out system. That'd be fine. But as long as we have these incentive models, like stop being okay with people getting rich in oil, but get mad when like a billion dollar nonprofit hires a CEO for $5 million a year or whatever it's going to be. Like incentivize people to solve problems in a society and make that the way that you can extract capital you'll probably get a better planet. I, I have a really tough time understanding how people don't get that. How did you get started in the social impact sector? Uh, I was working for uh, the pharmaceutical sector 
as a strategic consultant for pharma lobbyists, and then that rolled into the opioid crisis. So for obvious reasons, it was less than fun uh, place to work at the time. So I jumped over to a nonprofit when another consultant uh, made the leap, and I've been here ever since. What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or did not follow? Uh, I wouldn't say advice, but it's like a, a structural thing within a home. Like they made sure anything you get, you work for, even when we were very little. So it was like, they'd always make me do something like Pavlovian training before we'd even get dessert. So like, I remember having to like go to the bathrooms and empty the little trash cans before we got dessert after dinner. And it just kind of uh, syncs it up in your head. Like if you uh, work, you can have nice things. And I always linked like uh, anything I want to get to how much time I'm going to put into it. What advice would you give current college grads looking to enter the social impact or innovation sectors? Um, I mean, it's tough. Again, I would say stay away from an issue and focus on a skill set. It's the same piece of advice. Like, are you going in there because you want to be an evangelist for, for something specifically? If so, find a job that's completely out of your sector. Get good at public speaking and like leveraging social media, whatever else you want to do, and then move into your sector. Um, focus on what job gives you the ability to become a weapon uh, at whatever it is you want to be good at and ignore uh, the subject matter. You're going to end up sitting at a desk for a cool organization with a job that you hate. Pat, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. As a final question, how do people find you? How do people help you? Yeah, uh, you can help us by becoming clients. We're constantly trying to, to grow the organization, obviously. You can find us at thegivingblock.com. Uh, we are at thegivingblock on Twitter, which is where you can find most of our social media activity. Um, we have webinars constantly, um, and we have uh, a contact us and a book a demo thing. We'll jump on the phone with any nonprofit. You don't have to sign up on the site. So if you want a, a 20, 30 minute info session where we can bounce questions off you, your board, your leadership, um, just hit us up on the site and book a time. All right, there you go, theevenblock.com and any links and resources as we put a lot of jargon out there will be available at wholewell.com slash podcast. Pat, have yourself a good day. George, thanks so much for having me. This has been Using the Whole Whale Podcast. If you wanna keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 